Live Above the Noise, the Choiceful Family Project. Welcome to Live Above the Noise, the Choiceful Family Project. I'm your host, Wayne Yurcha, and this podcast is a step-by-step action plan to help parents protect and prepare their children for the future. Thank you for joining us. This is episode number 16, and I'm here with my podcast partner, developmental and educational psychologist and kids media expert, Dr. Rob Ryer. And if this is the first episode you're listening to, we want to tell you that each episode builds upon the preceding ones. So to get the most out of the episodes, we suggest that you listen to them in order. Also, as a guide for you, episode one through eight provide important foundational information. And starting with episode nine, we begin to introduce specific tools and strategies designed to help you protect and prepare your children and family for the future, with the inner IQ being introduced in episode 12. And of course, the inner IQ is an essential framework that parents can use to help understand and guide their children's healthy development. So in previous episodes, we covered the inner IQ categories of character and competence. Now, today we're going to explore the next category of the inner IQ, which is communication. And the three dimensions of communication are me communication, we communication, and it communication. And uh, Adrian Principe of Turning Life On will be joining us again today as we explore these things. So, Rob, first, can you give us a brief overview of me, we, and it communication? Me communication refers to how you are communicating with yourself. That's like your inside communication. What's going on, how you think about your own thinking, what beliefs you're forming, and how you have the ability to sort of check your beliefs and your values and and make sure that you're revising things as you go along in your life at different developmental stages. It's the, the communication, the inside communication me communication. We communication is how you're communicating with things outside yourself, with other people, with technology, with the world around you, with media, with those dimensions of your life. And the third dimension of communication, which is often not talked about so much, is what we call it communication, which is really how you're dealing with, let's call it the big picture of life in general, the things that are not people. But if you have a set of spiritual beliefs, you know, and you believe in God or you believe in different forms of what the world is all about, nature, for example, some people, or, you know, what is the big picture of life and the worldview about what life is really about? And what's your point of view about that? We'll just keep that in the realm of it communication because it's a little different and a completely different level of communication. So those are the three again, me communication for the inside, we communication for the outside, and it communication for the world that goes beyond the definition of people into other realms, however that works for you individually. So Rob, I think that our over-reliance on technology and media at this point is affecting all three of, of these realms of communication, me, we, and it. I think Kids in particular are, we talked about this a little bit in one of our prior episodes when we talked about kids' resilience. 
they don't have that inside communication because they're using their devices to distract themselves. So that's kind of taking away from that me communication. I mean, obviously, we see how technology is affecting we communication because people um, are, I think, communicating less meaningfully with each other. They might be communicating more with each other, but Mm. um, is it meaningful communication? Right. Great point. Yeah. And then in terms of, you know, it communication, kids used to spend so much more time outside Mm -hmm. interacting with nature. I mean, that's hugely important for development. And now they're spending their time inside playing games and texting and Snapchatting and on Instagram. And that's definitely affecting their it communication. And I think the thing that they don't understand is that, you know, you have a set of brain waves that shift according to your environment. And all day long, you're altering your brainwave patterns. And when you step into nature, it's going to alter your brain on a biological level. And that's not the same at all as being on a computer, but a lot of people don't get that. When you're talking about me communication, what should a parent be looking for from the standpoint of what to pay attention to? I mean, clearly when a parent sees their child on devices all the time, they know they're on outer communication. Mm-hmm. But there are clearly things that parents need to be aware of or maybe pay attention to, to to determine, you know, how kids are talking to themselves. Where is this me communication going? And I know, you know, during our discussion earlier on and with regard to entertainment, that's one way to get information out of your kids. So using this whole idea is probably a way to explore what a child's me communication is, wouldn't it be? Yeah, that's only one way, though. When you think about the the natural way it unfolds is beautiful in the sense that children have that imagination when they're young. Developmentally, it's like a natural thing to go into realms of fantasy and to experiment with ideas in your head and be creative and play and do that anyway. But then what happens is as the worldview imposes its values on you about who you're supposed to be, And they start tightening down with all the rules and roles that you're supposed to have. And then they interject the digital world into that on top of the new rules and roles and make sure that you're spending more time in a world that's outside yourself. You're going to diminish that ability. And if the brain is rewiring itself, you're actually going to probably think that it's a waste of time to spend time quietly in a creative mode or reflecting. And I've had this experience with groups that I participated in, with mindfulness groups and people that I've brought up to uh, places where we're going to do two or three days of just getting quiet inside. I'm fascinated with the process because having done that for 25 or 30 years, yearly, several times a year, and noticing the pattern that happens, the pattern is chatter, chatter, chatter the first night. You're like, if you go a Thursday through Sunday thing, Oh my God, the mind is so full of chatter. And the the longer you can get quiet, the less chatter until there's always been a pattern that is exactly the same for me, which is by day two or day three, I noticed that the kinds of things that were occurring in my mind, all the rapid kinds of changes and chatter have dissipated to the point where there's space. And that's the kind of thing that if you know that's biological, And that's hardwired and the brain is wiring your brain in a way that reduces your ability to get quiet inside and silent 
and pay attention to who you are, what's going on inside you. That's, to me, one of the greatest challenges on the planet right now is to shift that outside communication into developing the developmental ability for inside communication. So it starts young, but then it needs to be nurtured in parents if they understand the developmental steps and phases, and they can keep that going through tools and techniques. And I'm a big fan of story, you know, because I think story offers a ton of things for inside communication. And if you use story in different ways, so it's all there. But the thing that's so difficult these days is, first of all, you have the imposition of all the outside forces, including schools, believing in technology, thinking that's the solution. So they're automatically going to impose their beliefs on parents. Then you have parents highly involved in technology because it becomes a safety device, a way to communicate with their child and also keep that communication alive, which is necessary. But also don't forget that there's a trade-off if that happens all the time. And so those two forces in the developmental unfolding create the breakdown, in my mind, of inside communication. So Rob, it's interesting what you said about a mindfulness retreat. And I remember growing up, I used to do a lot of journaling, particularly in you know my later adolescence, so high school, college. And I always used to feel that if I could write it down, and I still feel like this today, if I could write it down, it's almost like removing a layer so I could get down to the next layer. And then I write that down and I get down to the next layer and I write that down to get down to the next layer. So I think today, adults, kids, anybody, we're not experiencing that kind of communication with ourselves because that is a type of communication with ourselves because we're just using up our time, staying in that emotional part of our brains on social media or gaming or busying ourselves on our devices where we're not really connecting with ourselves. We're not allowing ourselves the time to connect with ourselves. And back to the social media thing, there was a poem that I was, that I always used to read growing up called Desiderata. And there's one line in that poem that says, do not compare yourself to others. You will become vain or bitter for always there will be a better and a worse person than yourself. And I think what's happening with social media is kids are comparing themselves to others instead of trying on their personalities and seeing what works best for them. They're comparing themselves to others. They're looking at how many followers, you know, one of their friends has, they're evaluating, okay, how is that person getting so many followers? And then how should I behave so that I get that many followers? Because for some reason we're using followers to validate ourselves. And so instead of being themselves and communicating with themselves, they're comparing themselves to other people and they're, we're really creating a society or we're creating a generation of kids that are so similar because they're just mimicking each other. And we know that's what kids do. That's beautiful. And you said two things. Uh, one of them was layers. And my experience has been experimenting with this over a lifetime of the layers inside me and trying to allow time and a sense of space and quietness to dissipate the layer, go through the layer, on, just like when you're saying when you're journaling. Same thing as if you're self-reflecting in a quiet space and you're allowing that layer to come up and you process it, which is mindfulness. And then over time, my experience has been that 
That is so significant in getting underneath the external chatter and the layers that you get locked up into, you know, the anchors that really lock you into behavior patterns because they're on that external layer, just like social media will do. If you believe that you are the personality that someone else desires or wants you to be, uh, that's a layer. And another thing you brought up with regard to layers is I don't think a lot of parents understand that we are not a personality. We don't have a personality. The idea of a personality is a unidimensional approach, and that's not the way it is, period. We are multiple personalities, and that's not meant to be a negative term. We have many personalities inside. And if you can't discover parts of yourself, instead of thinking like you are a single personality, you have to take the time to understand the parts. Easy way to validate that is just simply say, who am I with my parents? Who am I with my friends? Who am I at work? Do I vary at all with different people? Do I shift roles? Do I want to shift roles to be with other people? What's my major role? Who am I really? And if you get the idea that you have multiple parts, and in order to maximize your fulfillment over your lifetime is to understand and integrate the parts. So to do that, you have to get quiet and spend time understanding that. If you don't spend time, then you're on the outside uh, looking in and you never get to understand what's happening on the inside completely. It's interesting. I just read an article in the newspaper yesterday. Uh, It says here, this is not a surprise to us, but spending too much time on social media or watching television is linked to increased symptoms of depression among teens a new study suggests researchers conducted a four-year study of more than 3,800 adolescents between grades 7 and 11 in the Montreal area. The findings, which were published in a journal uh, on pediatrics on Monday, indicate that the longer young people spend on social media or watching TV, their risk of depression increased. And this person who co-authored the study said the results suggest that media portraying an idealized image of adolescents are more likely to hurt teens' self-esteem and that the harm appears to be most potent on social media platforms such as Facebook and Instagram, where teens are more likely to compare themselves to other people with, quotes, perfect lives and feel worse about their own, he says. And that goes on and on in the article about algorithms, etc. So this is published in the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association, Pediatrics. So that's, that's exactly what you're saying. You don't get inside your own self. You end up comparing yourself to other people. It brings on anxiety and depression. And clearly social media is a big thing with that. I would argue too that a lot of kids go for the shock value on social media as well to get more followers. Um, So they're putting stuff out there that's maybe not within their value system because they want followers because we've kind of accepted this idea that the more followers you have, the more popular you are. And that's what these kids are wanting. And so they're putting stuff out there that maybe isn't in line with their value, or they're putting things out there that are inappropriate. Because we're also talking about developmentally, you know, when you get into the high school years, kids are doing more of those risky behaviors, because of where they are in their development. And social media is really just a platform to do maybe inappropriate things that aren't that smart that are now out there you know, we talk about once you put it out there, it's there forever. It doesn't go away. So it's a really tricky situation for kids. 
Yeah, and not only that, who's teaching us that is the entertainment industry because they're raising the bar to gain attention. Right. And then all of a sudden, uh, I was watching a couple of shows the other night. I just couldn't believe it. I said to my wife, when did all that language take place that is in this show that kids are watching is virtually unbelievable shift in language that is so common. Now, we all know the words, you know, but the, the, the MF word and the F word and all those things that are just entering the dialogues of shows like constantly now at such an extraordinary level. So the bar is constantly being raised. And I know from working in that industry that, you know, with an eight second attention span at best, it's like, how do we get it? Well, we did that before. That won't get their attention. They know about that. What if we try this? What if we try that? If that's the point of view about attention is the name of the game and the value system decreases with regard to any kinds of true values, but instead it's all about the business value of things. The future is just going to be constantly revising attention getting devices and kids will learn all of that and are learning it all. Well, I'd like to kind of explore the idea that, uh, Rob, we've talked about, which is spaces and creating a space that really encourages this sort of inside communication. Now, this is obviously going to be for a little bit of a younger child, but can you just talk about that a bit, Rob? I'm a fan of that in the sense that I created the treehouse concept in my own yard. It's not a traditional treehouse like you would see up in a tree, but we call it the treehouse because it's raised. You know, it's a quiet space and it's a place that is in nature and allows me to step out of the house, step out of the office and go into the treehouse. It's more of a, a metaphor for altering the brain state in this special place. And I think if you can create that kind of a space within your home and you fill that with things that we know alter your brainwave patterns and plants, for example, and the right place to sit and nothing that's distracting around you and remove technology, even if it's a corner of the room, like I've recommended that with, to friends of mine. I said, you have a space in your office that is a corner over there that you can call your quiet space and use that for a different reason. You know, make sure that it's surrounded by whether it's images or beauty or plants, but it's symbolic of a different altered brainwave pattern and give yourself permission to create what we call e-time, which is enrichment time in that space daily. And also spend a little time on me communication while you're in that space. That can be done at any level in any kind of setting. As long as you recognize that something is going to go on there that's critically important and that the space is necessary to create that kind of me communication. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think every parent has gone through this whole idea of kids using boxes to play in. A number of years ago, you know, I, I'm a developer of products as well. And I created a, a toy. It was called a toy tent, actually. And what it was, was a cardboard kind of tent that you could put up in the space of, uh, oh, I don't know, three seconds. And it was uh, built to look like a dinosaur. And so we had Tyrannosaurus, a Stegosaurus, and a Triceratops. And the tent itself is like a little pup tent. So it would pop up and it would have little windows that look through and the sides had the outlines of dinosaurs and it was cut in the shape of dinosaurs. And so kids would color it in, decorate it in however they want. 
But what would happen is this became a special space for kids. So they would crawl into this a dino den. They go in there to read. They go in there to sleep. Can't even tell you how many letters we had from parents saying, you know, this is my kid's favorite space. And whenever they need to, to do what we're now talking about, which is me communication, they would go in there. This was a number of years ago. It was quite successful, but we have stopped producing it. But there are other little kids' tents. There are other little things like that that start to allow a child's imagination, even if it's some blankets over some stuff. And Adrian, you probably could talk about this. Isn't this a place that if you created this area with a child and said, okay, this is our special story time space or whatever it would happen to be and did it on a regular basis, wouldn't that be something that you could build greater communication and imagination with? Oh, yeah, of course. I can think of a lot of examples in our family where our kids have done things like that. You know, we bought our youngest daughter was one of those outdoor plastic houses for Christmas one year, and it was inside because she had gotten it for Christmas. So it was inside for a few months before we moved it outside, and she loved that thing. So the next year, we bought her a tent for her room, just this little tiny tent that we put in her room, and she used to go in there all the time. And um, we have a linen closet that there's some blankets on the floor in the linen closet, and the kids squeeze in there um, with a flashlight, and they'll hide in there and read. You know, I haven't thought it through in the way that we're talking about it right now, you know, I just kind of thought, oh, they like to go in the small space and, you know, they go in there, but to get away too. I mean, when kids, I mean, we have a lot of siblings, there are four kids in our family, so it can get really loud and chaotic. Um, But I would imagine in any family, even with one or two kids that the kids would appreciate a quiet space of their own to kind of go and and tuck away into. It's funny how kids like to be in those small spaces and tents and boxes. Yeah. And I want to get back to that whole idea of imagination. When you're talking about me communication, imagination is just massively important and developing imagination in life is going to be a huge key to your ability to be creative, to get uh, the kind of life you want to feel fulfilled and happy. And just commenting on toys in general, what I've noticed over the years is that what used to be toys that used to encourage imagination, they were simple toys you didn't just get something that told you what to do. You got something that could create multiple scenarios that a child could play with. Now the movement seems to be, because of putting more and more tech into toys, is to actually have the child go through a play pattern that's already been determined by the creator of the toy. And oftentimes, of course, that's to create sales of other toys and etc and other parts of the line but that whole movement from something that totally is open to your imagination to something that's directed is part of this whole problem isn't it i think i think it's huge because most people have bought in to the idea that tech makes you smarter and that the future is in tech and that's outside and So what happened to inside communication? I never hear people talking about that, like that that is more important today to make a kid smart than outside communication. And they don't even think about that part of the communication, no less include it in their lifestyle and build a period of time daily to practice it. Because especially nowadays with the power of outside communication, you better make sure that this is a ritual, that 
you give it the importance it deserves and build it into your daily routine. And that's the origin of mindfulness and meditation. But people are wanting that and leaning toward that. But I don't think parents get the biological impact of being quiet and how important it is to counter the external force now. Uh, Because the other thing about that is with the increase in anxiety and depression and the toolbox necessary to counter that, that's inside communication. You better have tools because you're practicing how to develop those tools because you get quiet enough to practice, and that's going to counter those external forces. But if it's all outside and it's pulling you outside, where is the toolbox? That's a huge issue today. Well, I think a perfect example of what we're talking about here is Legos. Um, I know that ads, you know, back in the 70s and 80s would just show a kid with Legos. And now if you look at Lego ads, they're all connected to more commercialized characters. So you have, you know, the whole Star Wars set and you have the Friends set. So Star Wars are meant for boys and the Friends are meant for girls. And of course, then you can go out and watch the TV show. And so there's, you know, the commercialization of Legos where we buy the sets for our kids and they quickly lose the directions. But what what I like more about Legos is having them just build your own. I mean, it's when they're building on their own, they're using their own creativity. They're coming up with solutions to dilemmas to whatever they're trying to build. So I want to build a house. How do I build it? How do I create the roof? What pieces do I need to use? What colors am I going to use, need to use? So all of that, um, working out that problem and finding a solution, that's all internal communication. It's problem solving skills, it's creativity, it's all those, you know, what people call soft skills that kids are going to need in the future to be successful. So I think Legos, just kids playing with Legos without the directions um, is a great way to build some of those inside communication skills, as well as these other skills that kids are going to need in the future. Another thing I was thinking of is somebody actually emailed me today to ask me about the app TikTok. So it's basically this app where the app plays music. It's kind of like karaoke, I guess. The user can dance and can sing and can create these videos. And there's been a a lot of controversy around this because like YouTube, anybody can create a video and upload it. So you're kind of exposing your kids to anybody, anywhere, at any time, which I think parents really need to be careful about that piece. But thinking in terms of creativity, and this is what you know, beyond that part of it, the safety part of it, in terms of the creativity, my oldest daughter, who's 12, has an iPod. And this whole week, they've been working, well, actually, for the last couple weeks, here and there, they've been working out this video, they've been creating a movie, where they've put together costumes, and they've written a script, and everybody has a part. And so they're really creating their own versus on TikTok, it's more driven by the technology that they're using on the app, whereas this is way more creative. And they're using a lot more skills to create their own show or their own movie or their own interview than what a child could do online. And I, I think the other thing that's interesting, too, is to ask, what what is it about a little tent in the corner of your room or a closet? Why would that always be something that was really great for kids that they loved. What drives that? What need in children are they fulfilling 
by going into a quiet space like that? That's really an important question because it's also an identity question. I get to be me. I get to be me in that space. You know, whether I'm working on myself or I'm trying to understand myself or not, even if I just sit in my own personal quiet space, I still am working on my identity, which we talked about as another part of the inner IQ earlier in an earlier podcast. But that's the space I get to do that in. You know, and the great thing about having a little tent or just a corner or a box or something, it's something that anybody can do, any family can do. I mean, you you may be a family that doesn't have, you know, a house with a yard. You might, you know, live in an apartment or something along those lines. But some little space will change that environment for the child to allow that creativity to happen. And I know, Rob, that you have the idea of even the lighting that you're creating in that. I know there's something called bliss lights that will sparkle stuff on the sky and there's various things. But you could even use a a flashlight or something like that, couldn't you, to create this special space that open communication between the parent and the child and got you more into talking or when you're reading a book or when you're discussing things as we talked about with regard to entertainment in our previous episodes. I mean, just creating that little place that's special that a child immediately identifies with, doesn't that, Rob, get anchored in the body? I mean, from the child standpoint, kind of almost muscle memory in a sense where, okay, we're going to create our special time. You go in there and doesn't that start to happen every time just by a matter of habituation of saying, oh, this is a great place. I can breathe here. I can have a a more openness. Yeah, well, I, I think the idea of a special type of time which we talk about in earlier podcasts, we call it e-time enrichment time. And you don't have to call it that with your child, but if but if you bring into the picture, you know, that there is a different type of time that is devoted to something more magical. And um, you bring up the lighting, I experimented with different kinds. They're really inexpensive. You can get these great little lights, you know, that will light up your entire bedroom at night and sparkle in and of itself that's one thing but if that became e-time at night for stories and for more quiet time and for self-reflection and for me time and e-time and those two things could be combined together and then you could take the remote with you so it's not used in any other way except for that time however you want to construct that in a way that maximizes the internal me communication along with the lighting you can make that space and time magical for that period of time and then simply take the remote away or take the unit away and say tomorrow night we're going to do e-time again and this time we're going to read this story or we're going to do that because it is sensory in the sense that it, it really turns the room into an amazing space where you, you can't even believe it. And it's, it's beyond something that that's you get used to. You don't get used to it. Every time you turn those lights on, it's like, oh, oh my goodness, where am I? And that's a great little tool. So my kids also have um, a turtle mm. that has a plastic top with batteries in it. And you just turn it on and it does some, a similar thing. So the top of the turtle has star cutouts. And when you turn it on, it does the same. It displays the stars up on the ceiling. And you can choose a different color. So it's a similar product that might be great for younger kids. When you're trying to transition into how am I going to get my child to spend more me time, then I think it becomes a beautiful tool 
to introduce a specific time and space to do that, to get them used to the idea like this is not the same as the rest of the day. We're, we're setting some time aside that's magical. And then make the magical part the part that develops the me time and use sensory devices to do that, as opposed to just having them on all the time where you get used to them and they don't really take on a special meaning. So I think the key to that is making it a special type of time on a daily basis and then turn that type of time into me time. You know, so that's what that's about is trying to restore the balance in a child's processing. And for listeners who haven't um, listened to that, we have something called time design, and that's five different types of time. And if you listen to um, episode five, you can get an idea of, of the five different types of time and see how these are in your life. And those five types of time are taking care of business time, you know, where you just have to get whatever it is that you have to get done. Toxic time, and I think we all know what that is. Coping time, e-time, which is enrichment time and I time, which is inner time. So we're talking about, Rob, a combination of enrichment time and inner time, aren't we? That's right, exactly. And because everything is devoted to time management, you don't hear much about, well, what type of time am I managing? You know, it's like, well, get this done. Here's my goal, manage my schedule. That type of time is typically TCB time or toxic time. But we're saying, no, but there's other types of time that you can create within your life that are special and that really develop that inside me communication. I think what you're talking about, too, with this special time, this e-time and dedicating a particular space or an activity during that time is really important. Um, we talk to a lot of parents who, when their kids are little, say between four and six or seven, they have a really hard time getting them to settle down before bed. And I went through this with my kids. They're, all of my kids are about a year and a half apart. And I have two boys in the middle. So you can imagine what bedtime is like. They're jumping off their beds and wrestling on the floor and throwing socks and everything else. A lot of parents turn to devices. You know, iPads now are so portable. So even when kids don't have TVs in their rooms, parents are giving them iPods to watch videos. We never did that with our kids. And it it was not without stress for us as the parents, but I think it's really important before bed. And that could be a perfect time to do this. This e-time is right before bed to get kids to learn how to settle down, to reflect on the day, to have some quiet, special time, and to maybe even introduce some of that we time. So cuddling with your child or reading a story, reading to them, having them read to you, depending on what age they are, just anything that you can do together. I mean, one of my kids likes their back scratched. One of my kids will tell me about their day. So it's, it's all a little bit different based on their personalities. But that time at the end of the day is so important, not only for them to develop this new communication, to also have this e-time or this inner time. I think it's a combination of both, but to also connect with them and for them to learn how to settle down so that they can get a good night's sleep because we know how important quality sleep is for kids' development and for their physical health as well as their mental health. So I think that for parents to be able to put this into practice, maybe right before bed would be a great time to introduce this. Yeah, and, and you could start it very early so that by the time a child has reached the preteen stage or the teen stage, their brain is wired for e-time. That's what they've been experiencing their childhood. And they, they're not only loving it, but they're used to it. 
And then they can carry that right into adulthood. And it's not this gigantic challenge between the we time and me time anymore. It's something that becomes enjoyable and necessary and they get it. You know, this is not a transition I have to make. This is a transition that's that I love into a different type of time during my day. So the earlier, the better to introduce that idea. And I think what you said about it being a habit is really important too. I remember when I had my first child and I read a book and one of the lines that always stuck with me was start as you mean to go. So from the time that she was born, every night at eight o'clock, we kind of got into this habit where we'd give her a tub, we'd put her in her pajamas, I'd sit in the rocking chair and I'd read her a story. I mean, she was an infant. She didn't know what I was reading, but it was all with this idea of getting into this habit of having this bedtime routine, of getting her used to settling down, of dimming the lights, putting her in her crib so she could go to sleep. And then, of course, as she got older, we did the same thing with meals, which I think is really important. And all the studies suggest families should be eating together. And it's a similar idea. When she started to eat, we would all sit down as a family, my husband and I and and her, and we'd give her her baby food and we would eat our meal. And so that just became part of our family tradition or our habit in our family that we're eating together. Um, and that's what we do now. And I know a lot of families don't do that. And I think it's something, and that's, I guess that could be the we communication as well, where you're communicating as a family and you're finding out how the day went. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do with your kids in terms of sometimes we'll say, okay, what's one good thing that happened? What was one not so great thing that happened? Um, And what was one funny thing that happened today? And we encourage everybody to share. So it's, again, connecting on that level. I'm glad you brought up habit, Adrian, because in my experience of working with people to get them to shift into me time when they're in their 20s or their late, late teens because they have no habit structure in place, and then it becomes creating this new habit that is totally unfamiliar, and they're already brainwired outside themselves. So now it's such a task for them to sit quiet without having the chatter in their mind say, this is, I don't know why I'm doing this, or this is boring, or I could be doing this instead. All of that internal chatter that is taking place year by year by being conditioned to be outside themselves, now they have to deal with that to form a new habit. So the earlier that habit is established as something beneficial and fun and enjoyable and creates a sense of well-being with it. That's really important that it becomes a habit. Thanks, Rob. And I think that's a great place to end the episode. But first, do you want to give us a final thought or a takeaway regarding me communication? Uh, Our podcast, Live Above the Noise, is devoted to the question of children and parenting and so forth, but also how do you do that? How do you learn to live above the noise? And the reason me communication is so important is if the outside communication and the chatter is dominating your life, you've got to figure out a way to understand how to use me communication to get above that noise. And so it's just critical that this communication piece is relevant now more than ever and directly related to how you learn to live above the noise. And that's our takeaway for today. I think that's a great takeaway to uh, end this episode on. 
And we do want to remind you that we are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and many other podcast providers. So you can subscribe to us there as well. So um, Adrian, thanks again for joining us. It's been a delight to have you on. And uh, to all of you out there listening, thank you for listening and live above the noise. Hello, everyone. If you'd like to get our email update about new episodes, tips and tools, and all the latest information, please sign up for our Noise Watch update on our liveabovethenoise.com website.